0: Good morning. Good morning, Good morning Hi, ah, energetic group. If, you, if I were to ask you about a time in your life when you suffered, what would come to mind? When I asked myself that question about the uh, first thing that really jumped to my mind was, uh, in January of 2002 my family and I had been visiting Newfoundland. It was wonderful family, Christmas time. We're driving back to Pennsylvania. We're somewhere in the middle of Newfoundland, and a little unsettling discomfort that I had been having in my abdominal area began to flare into something more resembling, excruciating pain. It got worse and worse, to the point where I couldn't drive. Tracy took over, and I began to think about how we were going to make this work. How am I going to get to the ferry on time? This is really important when you're traveling off the island because you have limited windows of opportunity to travel. Being a tough guy, I can't believe you're not laughing, (laughs) uh, on cue, very good. I decided I'm going to gut this out, get to the boat, get across. We managed to do that. We're off the ferry. I am very uncomfortable. I haven't slept. I can barely eat. I um, can't get comfortable. I'm wandering. I'm pacing, just trying to find comfortable. Anyway, we get to the point where I can't do this anymore, and our plan is is that we're going to stop. Trace, was it Moncton or St. John? I can't even remember. St. John, it was a blur, a haze, where Tracy had family friends in St. John where we could stop and get some help. They took me to the hospital. At this point, I have a tremendous amount of faith in our medical system. (laughs) All of my hope (laughs) is in the doctors. I've never met them. I've never been to the hospital in St. John. I have no idea, right? But I trust that these guys, are. somebody is going to be able to do something. They have to. I am in the emerge in Saint John. I am waiting, of course. Why? Because I'm in emerge. And apparently, the guy who had the heart attack goes first. <laughs> Go figure. But eventually, they see me. I think it's been about 36 hours. I haven't slept. I mean, like, and, and I, I'm a little fidgety, maybe sometimes. Can you imagine me after 36 hours, like in this t- little cu- cubicle treatment room, bouncing off the walls? so, I'm just, oh, beside myself. I think if the doctor had walked in at that point and said to me, I'm sorry, we can't help you, I probably would have had a nervous breakdown. Fortunately, that's not how the story ended. They had run some tests. The doctor comes in and says, yep, you've got all the classic signs of a kidney stone. Ha. Huh, I heard they were painful. <laughs> the treatment worked. Everything turned out okay. That was what jumped to my mind when I thought of suffering. What comes to yours? Maybe it was physical, but it could also have been mental or emotional. We talk about the suffering the loss of a loved one. Maybe you have suffered extreme discouragement. Perhaps you suffer with mental health challenges, things like depression and anxiety. It's all legit. But let me ask you this question. When I when I start talking about this, did anyone think about a time when they suffered for being a Christian? And I think it's a very relevant question for us today. Let me ask you another question. What keeps you from boldly sharing your faith? Anybody? Fear of their reaction? And what is it about their reaction? Okay. Okay. So some fear of the consequences of rejection? Is that a... Okay. Any any other thoughts? Fear of... Okay. And why why is that a fear? Or well you have this really amazing thing to share. Mm-hmm. And uh, most people aren't really there in their minds. you think. So and if you put it up if you're going to put it out there and then just shut it down. Okay. So do that. Yeah. Is this is that touching fairly close to home for a lot of you? Okay, so this fear of rejection. So here's the thing. When we think about suffering for the sake of the gospel, I am willing to bet that for most of us, our thinking probably goes to places in the world where suffering for your faith could be as extreme as losing your life, right? That you could suffer physically. You could be beaten. You could suffer an extraordinary Ways that that in Canada in two thousand and nineteen we, we we really don't deal with. I was I was reading a, a news article the other day actually about a uh, a church who's opened like a satellite campus in a prison in Texas, and they're ministering to inmates and uh, they're seeing great results. It's amazing. They, they're baptizing inmates. And some of these guys are coming out of like what, the, you know, what we often refer to as like a solitary confinement. These are guys who, who because they've committed terrible crimes or were hard to handle in the system, you know, don't get to interact with other people. And they're being baptized. But the pastor said something I thought was really interesting. He said some of them, after they've been baptized, they leave with a fear. And the fear is this. Some of these guys belong to the kind of gangs where the only way out is death. That you don't get out of the gang unless you die. So for them, choosing to follow Jesus has some pretty serious consequences. And I think when we look at like the book of First Peter, as we've been talking about suffering, uh, living out our faith in a world and a culture that isn't so. Friendly towards our faith. We probably recognize that the first century audience to which this book was written knew what it was like to live in a culture where you could suffer. We've talked about this in the past about the political structure, the social, patriarchal structure, the uh, slavery, and all of these different elements, things that are foreign to us. We know that some of this first century audience knew the kind of intense suffering for the faith that was possible. And where there may be a tension for us is is that we look at what we might suffer for the gospel, and in comparison, we might feel, well, I guess what we suffer really isn't that significant, is it? Now, it's important for us to recognize that truth, but here's the thing. I don't want us to minimize that because it is a real thing for us. And I think the problem is that by simply minimizing it and saying it, oh, I guess my suffering for you know the gospel really doesn't count might actually have the 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 possible implication of sort of having us really just dismiss the whole thing out of hand and not actually embrace it and deal with it. And I think that our passage that we want to look at today speaks really significantly to this. And it hopefully will help us see that what we suffer is very legitimate and that there's actually a way that we can deal with it. And hopefully we can learn how to embrace this. You guys ready? Okay. First Peter, Chapter Four, Verse Twelve. Sorry, my computer and my phone is talking so fast I can't even understand it. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, this is a really important verse. If you like marking your Bible, this is a good one to mark. Because if you study this in, in depth and really understand what it means, it has significant implications don't be surprised. (laughs) Okay? Why is Peter coming back to this topic of suffering again? It's because he wants to exhort his reader to not be surprised when this happens. It's not a question in Peter's mind of if this is going to happen. It's just a question of when. And I think that we need to be really careful about this because there are occasions when we might fall into the trap of sort of sharing the gospel with people in a way that presents the gospel as all blue skies and sunshine. Oh, just follow Jesus. He'll take care of all your problems. That isn't actually the case. There, there are teachers. I, you've probably heard uh, the term the prosperity gospel. I don't need to go too far into it today, but the idea that there are people who teach that somehow that following Jesus has material benefit—that if you follow Jesus, you, you you will the result of following Jesus will be prosperity. You will have health and wealth. Okay. I'm pretty sure that those teachers do not have 1 Peter in their Bible. And probably a few other really important verses. Peter tells us, don't be surprised by this. It is going to happen. And I don't know if you caught this part, but don't be surprised. And what's the word he uses? This is a test. This is part of God's sovereign plan for us. That we shouldn't be surprised because God certainly isn't. And God is actually using this. You're probably familiar with the verse that tells us that God works all things together, right, for the good. What does that mean? Well, part of it is tied up right here. It's this idea that God is Using these things, and he uses, Peter uses this term, fiery ordeal. It it brings to mind this uh, analogy that we've, we've looked into before about how gold is purified. Do you guys remember? Gold is purified by being heated over a fire, melted down, right? The impurities rise to the surface and they're skimmed off. And I think that that's what is kind of being hinted at here is this idea that we're being refined by this process as we're being purified. We're being tested. God's using this. And Peter tells us that we can rejoice in as much as we participate in the suffering of Christ so that we may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And I think it's really significant when you consider the source, the author of this. We're talking about Peter. Now, remember Peter, when he was with Jesus, when Jesus was arrested, he's around the fire, hiding in the shadows with the servants, where he could have been standing alongside Jesus in that moment, participating actively in the suffering of Christ, but he's hiding, he denies Jesus and runs away, But something, of course, happens to Peter after he is reconciled to Jesus, and it was interesting, I was just reading in the book of Acts, this is part of my regular Bible reading, I just came across it this week, the story, is Acts chapter 5, of of the apostles and Peter, you know, being persecuted, essentially, for sharing the gospel, you know, they're, they're called up in front of the Sanhedrin, they're they're put in jail there's a miraculous escape they're they're dragged back in again they're told to stop preaching the gospel and they're beaten and what do these guys do <laughs> they walk away rejoicing they rejoice at the opportunity that they have had to participate in some small way in the suffering of Jesus it's nuts But we already heard this morning, Daniel read from from 1 Corinthians. This is where we begin to tap into this idea that the gospel is foolishness. That this stuff confounds human wisdom. Why in heaven's name would anybody rejoice at having suffered? But we begin to see this picture of Peter as a man who is now coming to terms, understanding what it means to follow the resurrected Christ. And he, he sees these small sufferings for what they are. And he, he counts it as nothing in contrast to the glory that will be revealed when Christ reconciles all of creation. But I think verse 14 is a good place for us to really hang our hat this morning. Again, if you're into marking your Bible, I think verse 14 is worth some repeated consideration. But if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What are we most afraid of? In our culture, a lot of the times, we're afraid of the insult. We're afraid of the rejection. If you were talking about your faith with some friends and they rejected you or insulted you, you would walk away, typically from that interaction, feeling downcast, dejected. You might share, oh, what a terrible experience I had this week. But do you catch what Peter is actually saying here? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. Blessed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are? Guys, come on. You could all sneak out and I wouldn't even know you were gone. (laughs) If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Okay, that got really loud. Good. Think about it. How many of us frame this in this context? That we're blessed by, because we're insulted for the name of Christ. Can you imagine having an interaction with somebody you know where you become, you get that sense of having been insulted for the name of Christ and you walk away from that interaction, not downcast, not dejected, but you're like, yes, I got insulted for Jesus. Can you imagine coming in here next Sunday and standing up in the sharing time and saying, guys, I had the most amazing week. I got insulted three times. It's foolishness. It's complete and utter lunacy by the world's standards, but not by God's standards. If you are insulted for the name of Christ. Okay, but here's the point that I want to anchor that to. In verse 15, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Peter's made this kind of distinction before that there's legitimate suffering that we go through as a result of our actions. It's called consequences, right? And and he uses the strong language as a murderer or a thief or any other sort of criminal. But do you see what he tags on the end? Or even as a meddler? What's a meddler? Someone who meddles, I don't know, busybody, you right? Get in Somebody gets another, involved in another. You know, if I was paraphrasing it, you know what I think I'd say? I would say, or even as a jerk. And here's why. Because I know people, Christians, people who report to be followers of Christ, who are jerks. And I am intentionally being that blunt. Okay. They are obnoxious. And they share their faith in obnoxious ways and they're just jerky people. And you know what kind of response that brings? That's the consequence of that type of interaction. So if you suffer being a follower of Jesus, you are blessed. If you suffer for being a jerk, you're a jerk. Okay. And I want you to keep that in mind. Verse 16. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. If, if you suffer for being a follower of Christ, and what's a follower of Christ look like? We don't have time, okay? But if you think about what a follower of Jesus looks like, a, a, a true follower, a disciple, you think about how Jesus interacted with the people around him. If you interact with people that way, think about the way that Jesus dealt with people who didn't know God, those that were far from God. And you might think, but wait, wasn't Jesus harsh with people at times? Oh, yes, he was. But look at who he was blunt with. He was blunt with the religious elites. He was blunt with the people who should have known better, the people who should have been looking out for others but were only looking out for themselves. No, when you see Jesus interacting with people who are far from God, you see his grace, his compassion, his love. And if that is how you represent Christ, and you suffer for that, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You are blessed. Yes, it's foolishness by the world's standards, but... But this is God's economy. And, and we've allowed our enemy to twist it in our minds to think that the insult is personal and that, it, and that we, should be, we, we should be upset and we should stand up for ourselves. Well, you can't talk to me like that. No, no. We need to embrace what Peter is telling us here. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay. If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter takes us back to look at the situation of others. Again, this is something that Peter does repeatedly. Think about others. If it's hard for us, how much harder is it going to be for those who aren't Christ followers, for those who don't know God? He's calling us to live the life of sacrifice for the sake of others. We will get to experience the glory of his return when he reconciles all of creation. How hard will it be for others if they haven't heard that message and haven't had the opportunity to respond to him? It's, it's, it's the continuing challenge that we face. And I got thinking about it. I was like, okay, so is, are there like three easy steps? <laughs> no, there aren't. Sorry. I realized that at the end of all of this, it really comes down to a fairly fundamental question Do I trust God? when I look at the entirety of Scripture and see God's faithfulness time and time again, when I look at my own experience and, and see even through the dark and difficult times how God has been faithful, do I trust him going forward? Can I walk out of here today with bold confidence to be able to share. Talk about Jesus as part of our life in our day-to-day interactions. The fact that God is a significant part of my life. He is the foundation should that not bleed through in, in in conversation? And yet we continue to hide, right? We're, 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 we're worried, we're afraid. Do we trust him? I can't answer that question for you. The truth is, that I'm convicted when I try to answer it for myself. But this is the challenge that Scripture puts before us this morning. Father, as we contemplate Your Word today, I just ask that we would reflect on this passage and consider whether or not we trust you, whether or not we believe that what is written is true and that you would help us to apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.